Well, good morning. Um, my name is Mark, and I get to be with you two weeks in a row, uh, which either means that they like me here or they're desperate. I'm not real sure which it is, uh, but it's good to be with you. I typically teach at the Yoder campus, uh, but it's fun to be here a couple times this summer while Eric's on sabbatical. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing our series in James, and we're, we're still in James chapter 1, which if you brought your Bible, you're welcome to turn to follow along. If you want to use one of these red Bibles, um, it's on page 1106, and these red Bibles are spread out through the room. If you don't have a Bible, please take one of these with you. Um, you can take it home with you and have a Bible for yourself. Um, we're, we're in James, and some of the things we talked about last week about James is, is who is James? Do you guys remember who is James? What do we remember about him? He's the brother of Jesus, or at least we, we assume through the, the writings and, and what we understand about the, the first century church that the writer of this book is the brother of Jesus. Um, we also know that James was writing to whom? Who was James writing to? He was writing to the Jews. Um, and we also, we also know that he was writing to kind of two groups of Jews, or at least we think he was because of the way he writes. We, we think he was writing to both Jews who acknowledge who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And we also believe because of the way he wrote that he's also writing to Jews who don't believe Jesus is the Son of God uh, because he, he was able to teach the truths of Jesus without pushing some of the buttons of the time um, about who Jesus was. Um, and the book of James is a lot like the book of Proverbs, where there's a lot of um, snippets of how to follow Jesus, kind of one right after the next, right after the next, which um, it, ma- it makes it a bit of a thick book. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot to digest. Um, so over the next couple weeks, we'll be, we'll be kind of going through these couple chapters in the book of James. And last week, in James uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, we talked about how James is teaching us to see the long-range goal of the kingdom of God. And we did that through an analogy, and we watched a video. Um, but we're not going to watch the video again, but I want you to do something with me. I want you to hold one finger up in the air, and I want you to hold it in front of your face, and I want you to look at it. Um, how many fingers are you holding up? One, yeah, okay. I'm just making sure you're paying attention. Okay, so now what I want you to do is I want you to look at me, but keep the finger up. And what, how many fingers do you see now? Two. Yeah, because when you look past the issue towards the future, you're able to get a different perspective on what's right in front of you. Um, and that is what James was teaching us through the first couple verses in chapter 1 last week, is that whenever we look past the problem that's right in our face, we're able to see the truth of who Jesus is and what God promises, and it gives us a different perspective on the issues that are right in front of us. Um, this morning we're going to move on to the next little section in James, James chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. So I'd like to read that together. And then we'll get, in, get into it. James says this. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. <clears throat> Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear children. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Um, Let's pray together. 
God, as we dig into the words of James this morning, um, give us new insights. Give us clearer pictures of how you want us to live as followers of you today. Amen. So if we start off in the first few sentences of this section in James chapter 1, verse 9 to 11, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. Um, in, this, in these first couple sentences of this section, um, James is addressing a common issue among people. Uh, he's addressing the issue of who is better. It makes me think of the old uh, musical, Annie Get Your Gun, where she, think, where she sings, Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything. No, you can't. <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's a human condition. Like, I want to be better. Or at least I want to know where I fit in the ranks of people. It's also true in the church, and we see in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus' very own disciples dealing with this same issue. In Luke chapter 9, it says that an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had the child stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whom... Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it is the one who is the least among you is the greatest. So we see that even the people that spent intentional time with the creator of the universe deal with this problem of, like, who is greater. We do it today, too. We, we look at our yards and we say, well, mine has less dandelions than the neighbor's. Or, or we look at our car and we say, like, well, I want to drive a car that kind of fits my social circle. Or I, I say, like, well, my children behave in church better than their children, which is not typically the case. But um, we also look at our jobs and our finances and we compare ourselves and we say, like, where do we line up in the social realm? And we do it in church today, too. But what James is saying in these first couple verses is that in Christ, it's a level playing field. That we are to take pride in our position regardless of what that position is. These two phrases, take pride, well, it uses the same phrase twice. Take pride in your, in your high position or take pride in your low position. Um, and it's the same word, and it is this word in Greek. I don't speak Greek, so I'm not going to try. Um, but it means to boast or to rejoice. That we are to boast or we are to rejoice in the position we have regardless of the social status because in Jesus, it's different than it appears. It's kind of like whenever we look at our, our finger either directly at it or past it. When we look at the kingdom out here, our situation here is different than it might appear. Now the early church, the people who James was writing to, uh, the early church was made up of a majority of quote-unquote poor people. People who were of the working class, tent makers, fishermen, carpenters, etc. Uh, there were also slaves among the church uh, that James was writing to. And there were also some very, very wealthy people. We read about Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, Barnabas of Cyprus. So the, 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 church, the early church was made up of a lot of different social classes. But what James is teaching here is in the community of Christ, it's a level playing field. That money and social status mean nothing in the spiritual realm. Each one is as high and as low as the other. The poor or enslaved are to rejoice in the grace of Jesus. The rich and the wealthy are to rejoice in the grace of Jesus. If I'm poor and socially outcast, I'm a child of God. 
And this, this teaching from James is uplifting. If I am rich and powerful, um, I can rejoice in the grace of God, and it allows me to realize my need for God, that if I lean too hard on my wealth, I will be missing the point. Putting too much weight or value on our social status is a struggle for both ends of this spectrum. That, that, uh, it, my goal isn't to figure out where I am in the spectrum, but is to recognize that no matter where I am, I'm a child of God. Over on this side, if I'm poor, I might feel unworthy, and so I don't fully enter into what God is calling me. And if I'm on this side and I'm wealthy, I might feel better than and not willing to step into the mess of the kingdom of God that, that I am called into. The goal is to acknowledge that it's level, that money and status have nothing to do with our spiritual value. The next verse, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, when I first read this, I see blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. So that means that if I go through something tough and I get to the other side, I'll get blessings. So therefore, I should look for tough things and enter into them. I don't think that's what James is saying. I think, I think he's saying that, that it is, it, trial will happen. And that uh, we shouldn't necessarily look for it. And the reason I say that is because the word trial that's in this verse is the same word that Jesus uses when he teaches us to pray by saying, lead us not into temptation. That the word temptation that Jesus uses and the word trial that James uses is actually the exact same Greek, Greek word. And so that we are not to look for trials and temptations, but when they happen and we get through them, that we are blessed. We can read in, in 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 13, when, when Paul is teaching the church in Corinth, he says this. He says that God is faithful. God will ne- not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. These are some amazing promises. God knows Mark, me. God knows Mark. And God knows that Mark can handle this tough thing that's going on. God knows that Mark can't handle that tough thing over there, and so God protects me from that over there and says, Mark, this is what you can handle, so handle it. The other promise that we read in this teaching from Paul is that not only can, can I, I have the ability to handle what's going on, but God gives me the resources to handle it. He gives me the emotional stamina. He gives me the people to invest in me, and I invest in them to get through this. God gives us the resources we need. It doesn't mean that the the situation is going to be easy, but it means that God's got our back. He protects us, and he gives us what we need to get through it. This term, standing the test, or stood the test is how it's written in James. It's, uh, the the Greek word would be like a proving ground, or or a, uh, um, or like a, is it real? Is it authentic? And so what it makes me think about is um, antiques. When I was a kid, uh, my dad and I, when I was in junior high and high school, my dad and I started a little business um, going to auctions and yard sales, and we would buy what other people thought was junk, and then we would sell it on eBay and make money. So a couple years ago, um, I was at a yard sale, and I saw this little tractor, and it was only $2, and I was like, yes. I was like, that's a score. So I bought it, and then I took it to the the antique shop, and I I showed it to the antique shop owner. I said, okay, how many hundreds of dollars richer am I now? Um, and the antique shop owner was looking at it, and she looked at it, and she said, how much did you pay for it? And I said, $2, and she said, that's about right. Um, 
And what she was doing was she was authenticating, or disauthenticating, if that's a word, the, the value of this. She said, well, this is not a true John Deere um, toy from the 40s or whatever. She said, this is a, a, a Chinese knockoff, and here's why you can tell, whatever. Um, and so it makes me think about, like, whenever we are going through tough stuff, it's like we're being proven. Like, we, we say, like, I have faith in God. We enter this tough stuff. We, we have the resources that God, that God gives us to get through it. And when we're on the other side, the antique shop owner says, you're worth millions of dollars. Like, how cool is that? That we get, to, we get to experience authentication through tough stuff. It's not that God wants us to deal with it, uh, but on the other side, it proves our faith. And our reward, our reward is this crown of life. And I was reading that, I was like, what in the world is a crown of life? And so I looked it up in the, in the Greek, um, and, and it is a mark of eternal blessedness or an ornament for others to see. And so if you think about like a king or a queen, they, have, they wear crowns, and they wear them proudly. They wear them so that people know their power and their might and their authority. And this is what James is, is saying here, is that when we get through something tough, and we have a story to tell of the awesomeness of God, we should show it off to other people. But I think one of the, one of the things we struggle with is it's like, man, that was hard. I got through it, but I just want to forget about it, and I just want to just not ever talk about it again. What James is saying is when we have stories of God's faithfulness and how he provided to, to us to get through it, um, we should let people know how awesome God is. Um, and there's a story in my life like this. Um, my wife and I, Kendra, about three, two or three years ago, um, went through a really, really tough point in our marriage. Um, I'm not going to get into the details, but, but it was tough. If, if, we were not, um, if we were not who we say we are, we probably would not be married today. It was, it was that tough. Um, and I don't share this story for any other reason, but God is awesome, because we had the resources to get through it. We had parents that taught us about the commitment no matter what. Um, we had money to pay a counselor to go to counseling once a week for a long time, um, and we had the emotional stamina to stick it out. God is faithful. God gave us the, the ability to get through that, and I can stand here today and say, it's because of God. Verse 13. When we are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. God's goal is not for us to be tempted. In fact, it's a goal of Satan. One of Satan's nicknames, in fact, is the tempter. And we see in Mark chapter 1 that Satan even tempted Jesus to use his powers uh, unrighteously. It's just, it's kind of like parenting. If we think of the way God um, treats us and we treat our children, it's a little bit like parenting. This is a picture of my children. Uh, I have two boys, Evan and Lincoln. Evan is the older and Lincoln is the younger. Um, And in this picture, I couldn't find a great picture of them standing together. Um, In this picture, they are being punished. Um, They, in our house, if you get in a fight, you have to hold your noses together for a set amount of time. And if, you, if you're a parent and you want a cool, it works. Um, it, because one of two things happens. Either they're standing there with their nose together and they're crying and they're sorry and, and whatever. Or they're giggling because it's funny. So it, it, it most of the time diffuses the situation. And this has, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Um, but just as a parent, 
I do not desire hardships for my children. If I had if I had my way, life would be easy for them. They would be able to go through life confident. They would be successful. Life would be easy. But that's not the reality. I allow my kids to experience difficulties. And that's the way I think it is with God. He, he allows us to experience difficulties, even though it would not be his first goal for us. Um, whenever my boys are playing, sometimes... Evan, the older one, will take something from Lincoln, the younger one, and Lincoln will want to hit Evan. And sometimes he does. I I won't lie, my kids aren't perfect. Sometimes he hits him. And it's like, God, come on. Like, you know better than that. But sometimes Evan takes it and Lincoln goes, ah, and then he walks away. And I'm like, yes, like this is what we talk about. Like, I'm so proud of you. you. You were in the face of something difficult and you did the right thing. And I think that's what God has in mind for us is that when we, t- we, we enter tough things, God says, I've taught you. I, I have the resources available for you. Please use them. I think that's what we're learning through these verses in James. Verse 15 and 16. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. This word desire um, is the is it means longing, and longing is not longing does not disconnect us from God. Longing is not sinful, but it's the next. It's like the very next step that can either um, get us through or disconnect us from God. That's where sin is birthed. And James uses this birth analogy, and I I really like that he uses it because oftentimes when we when we face tough stuff. The, the first sin is very baby-like. It's very innocent. It's very small. But what James is teaching us is that, is that even little baby sins grow up. They get bigger. They get full-grown and mature. James is cautioning us to stay away from the little things that are compromising us. When we're able to recognize our desires and walk past them, we are given life, like we talked about just a minute ago. We are, uh, the, the next word I want to look at is this idea of being dragged away. Um, it, it's the same word that would be used to describe baiting an animal out of its safety place so that you, it can be hunted. So when I deer hunt, um, I typically will set a corn feeder out, and for a couple weeks before deer season, every day at 3 p.m., it, it throws corn on the ground um, so that the deer will hopefully be baited out of the woods so that I can shoot them, which um, is kind of what the devil does to us. Satan knows my weaknesses. And Satan says, like, here, Mark, what are you going to do with it? And I have the choice of whether to be dragged away by my temptation or not. When something happens to me that I don't like, I want it to be the way I want it to be, and I want it to be that way very quickly. It happened to me a couple weeks ago where I was, I was at work, and one of my employees did something that I didn't like, um, and, and he did it for, like, the third time, and I yelled at him. I'm not, I, I'm not proud of it. I yelled at him. I took the bait. Satan said, Mark, you struggle to be in control of situations. Here's a situation you're not in control of. What are you going to do with it? And unfortunately, I took the bait, and I had to go back to my employee the next day and apologize, and we had to, to kind of rebuild that relationship. And what I can do in those situations is I can blame other things. I can say, well, it's because work was stressful that week. Or I can say, well, I didn't have much sleep that night. But reality is, no, like, I just gave in 
to a temptation that the devil knew about and exploited in my person. We have to own our weaknesses to be able to overcome them. It's kind of like, um, I remember when I was younger, I don't remember what we were doing, but we were, we were splitting a big rock. I remember it being about this big. And we would take this pick and this hammer and we'd hit it. And eventually we saw a crack form in there. And one of the older guys that was with us, he said, hey, pour some water on that rock. And I was like, why would you pour water on it? It's not like we're, whatever. okay, fine. And what he explained to me was that whenever there's a very, very small crack, you can't get your chisel in the crack, but when, whenever you hit it, it splits open just enough to let water down in there. And the water molecule thickness keeps that rock from going back close together. Whenever Satan experiences a, a weakness in us, he exploits it. And he throws something into it that says, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to lean on God or are you going to let it break you apart? This, this idea, this birth analogy continues. Because James goes on to say that when sin is born, death is born. The, the idea of birth is amazing. If you have young children, or if you have children, you know that birth is like life-giving. It's like a new, like exponential potential of this small child. When James uses the, the, the analogy that when sin is born, death is born, it's like a stillborn child. I've never experienced that for myself, but I have friends that have. And this, this excitement of this life-giving paired with the death and the mourning is really, really difficult. And I think that's, the, that's how important the idea of, of owning our situation and, and leaning into God as opposed to letting Satan deal with our weaknesses I think the next sentence is, is uh, a little bit humorous. James says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. What I think he's saying here is when you're tempted, don't. And that's a, that's a symbol. I could, have just, I could have just read that sentence to you. Don't, when you're tempted, don't. And we could have all gone home and been done for the morning. Because that's really what we're talking about. So James is like, when you're tempted, just don't. It's kind of like whenever I'm parenting and, and I say, Lincoln, when you want to hit your brother, just don't. Like, I think it's humorous, but it is true. It's like, it's like God has given us the resources to not. So let's not. So I, I find it humorous that that sentence is even in there, because I think it's, un, it's redundant from what he's already been saying. And then in verse 17 and 18, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from God above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Everything good is a result of God's love for us. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't have good days and bad days or seasons of winter and summer. He's always looking for the good for us. And, and I think the last kind of little bit of this verse that we are a first fruit of all he created. It, that is like, that makes me prideful to be, to, to be a follower of Jesus. And in a good way, prideful. Because the first fruits analogy, it takes us back to um, 
the Old Testament uh, talking about tithe. So whenever a farmer would, would harvest their grapes or their crops, they would take the best of the best, the cream of the crop, and they would give it away for the betterment of the kingdom of God. And what, what I think James is teaching us here is that when we are able to enter a tough situation, use the resources that God has given us, and step forward, we are the best that God has to offer the world. And God will use us and give us a way, give our stories away so that the kingdom of God can benefit. And that, that just makes me excited to say, like, I, I am the best that God has to offer the world. You are the best that God has to offer the world. And that's encouraging. So to wrap up this morning, first thing is that God desires good for us. He desires good for us, but sometimes he allows things hard to happen. That's number two. He allows trials to happen. Number three, when we're in the middle of those trials, he gives us the resources, the people, the stuff, the emotional stamina to work through it so that in return, we can talk about how awesome God is to the people around us. Let's pray. God, thanks for, uh, thanks for these words from James. Thank you for uh, giving us resources whenever things seem tough. Um, and God, I pray that as, as we walk through life and enter these tough situations, that we would, uh, we would be aware of your blessings and your resources in the middle of it.